With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Just when you think you've got it all figured out, the Premier League throws you yet another curveball. Arsenal beaten 3-0 by Crystal Palace in the top flight on Monday evening. A huge dent to the Gunners' Champions League chances. Meanwhile, a huge smile on the face of former Gunner Patrick Vieira. We'll dissect the action on today's edition of Football Social Daily as the race for the top four intensifies. Tottenham are now holding on to that fourth spot. Arsenal still have a game in hand, but will they throw it away? We'll discuss that on today's show, as well as taking a look at the thoughts of Manchester United and Premier League legend Wayne Rooney on who he thinks could be the next manager at Old Trafford. Plus, the Champions League returns tonight. It's quarter-final time in Europe's elite club competition. Liverpool and Manchester City both playing tonight. We'll look at those games on today's episode of Football Social Daily, your award-winning Premier League podcast and the only show focusing on top-flight English football every single day of the season. My name's Niall and alongside me today to go through it all, we've got Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Morning, boys. Morning, guys. Morning, fellas. How are we doing? I'm good. Are you feeling a little bit more sprightly this morning, Marley, after yesterday's misery following the Newcastle game? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. I've, I've stopped uh, <laughs> I've stopped going over it, I suppose, yeah. But uh, I keep seeing highlights of like individual performances now from Spurs, from like Romero and stuff. Like Spurs have been going on like he's the new frigging messiah on on their Twitter feed. But um, yeah, that's not uh, it's not erasing it from a mem- from my memory quick enough when I've watched ninety minutes of Fabian Scher and uh, Dan Byrne doing probably the worst defending I've seen all season. <laughs> well, like a true football fan, you are wallowing in the misery until the next game. I'm actually being brave and deciding to watch my team Portsmouth tonight, so I'm going to be probably equally as moody tomorrow when the result <laughs> comes through this evening. Um, but certainly Tottenham fans, as you say, Marley, won't be disappointed because last night Crystal Palace did them a huge favour in the race for Champions League football. Not only did they beat their North London rivals Arsenal, but they knocked the Gunners down a peg or two as they look to attempt to qualify for the Champions League next season as well. It finished Crystal Palace 3, 
Arsenal nil. Now, on yesterday's podcast, Joel, I think all three of us, myself, Marley and Jim, were in agreement that Arsenal probably would win that, but we knew that Crystal Palace wouldn't be a pushover. Well, it was almost the opposite. Arsenal were the ones that were brushed aside and Palace were absolutely exceptional. Yeah, it was one of those games that it didn't surprise me, to be honest, just because they're the only team, well, not the only team, but they've beaten City earlier in the season away, they've beaten Spurs, and then this game was just so convincing as well. It's just the fact that Vieira just sets them up so well organised. It's not like they're just trying to go for a smash and grab against the big side. They just know exactly what they need to do. And that forward line of Zaha, uh, Mateta and Ayu, just, especially Mateta, now he seems to have come into his own a little bit because it was Edson Eduardo who was um, the guy who, at the start of the season, obviously the big, big money signing was the one who was going to be the focal point. And then suddenly it's kind of changed a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it, this is a result that just didn't surprise me just because Palace have just, well, they're seven games undefeated at the moment. And when Arsenal end up playing a team which really, you know, have a bit of a sharp edge to their attack, it seems that they do struggle a little bit. And there's no excuses on Arsenal's side because they had, well, apart from their fullbacks, which are not their obvious choices, they had still the strongest front line available. Um, and you just got to give so much credit to Vieira because I always remember at the start of the season when every, I think every single fan, every single pundit, every single journalist was literally writing him off straight away um, in a similar way that Frank de Boer when he first came in was just completely written off but he's just he's turned everything around. I didn't expect him to do this well with Palace because now they're ninth in the table. They have a FA Cup semi-final to enjoy at Wembley as well and considering his time at Nice and his time in, I think it was New York as well, I didn't expect him to take to the league as quickly. Obviously, it's still been a challenge for him, but his Nice side weren't incredible. Um, they didn't finish in great positions in Lyon for a good couple of years. So for him to take to the league as he has, and I'm sure it'll be such a nice little sweet uh, consolation at being Arsenal as well. Um, but yeah, I think it was just a great performance from every single one of them. And obviously a special mention to... Conor Gallagher as well, who just seems to be going strength to strength this season. Yeah, I think Conor Gallagher again was excellent last night. Patrick Vieira, you're right to pick up on him. We said it would be an interesting dynamic with him playing against the club where he's so revered. He's a legend as part of that invincible side, driving Wenger's title-winning teams on from the middle of the park. And his teams are playing excellent football as well. Crystal Palace have looked really, really good in some games this season, but... It was how clinical they were, Marley, for me, that really caught the eye. Arsenal did look a little bit lax and sloppy at times, but you know we can say how poor Arsenal were, but we shouldn't take any credit away from Crystal Palace. When they got the opportunities, they made them count and they really punished Arsenal. Yeah, I think um, it was. It seemed like they learned from the last game against Arsenal where they got, they got stung with a very, very late equaliser. I think they were 2-1 up at the Emirates. Um, if I remember rightly, it was a like a ninety-second minute goal or someone, uh, or something that that just sort of um, that killed them right at the end, and that was, you know, due to Crystal Palace not taking the chances and and trying to trying to sort of see it out. But last night was the opposite. They were they were clinical when they when they had the chances. You know, um, a couple of sort of set pieces that that worked their way, um, and they they really took advantage of of the opportunities Arsenal gave them, which is different to what it was last time and. And shows you uh, that that Palace is still improving. You know, um, there. I just, I think, just think with Palace now, it's like they're a team with an identity now. Um, whereas last last season and the previous three under Roy Hodgson, they were 
they were the dullest team in the league. You you did not want to watch Crystal Palace at all. You you knew it was going to be it wasn't going to be many goals. Um, if you know they might get sort of rolled over pretty easily, but now it's like there's always a chance because there's they've got a flair in the team and they've got young young players who are, who are hungry and want to do something. And you see, you don't see many teams like that because it's a bit of a gamble because it's almost similar to Arsenal in a way. Like some weeks they can be they can be brilliant and there will be weeks in the season where they don't turn up and they get rolled over pretty comfortably. But for most of the time, you know, they're, they're trying to play their game. They're trying to play decent football. Um, and sometimes it just manifests itself in uh, in a game like, like last night where, you know, Arsenal turned up and weren't quite at it and they got, you know, steamrolled pretty comfortably, really. Yeah, Crystal Palace flashed into a two-goal lead. They were 2-0 up after 24 minutes. The first two goals scored by Jean-Philippe Mateta and Jordan Ayew, but both assists coming from Yakim Anderson, who's a centre-back. Yeah. And he had an unbelievable game, I thought, last night. So a great start for Crystal Palace. And we said that they might struggle without Michael Elise and without Wilfred Zaha. Turned out Wilfred Zaha did play, and he scored Marley from the penalty spot. How much of a relief will it be? have been for him and the Palace fans to see that one dispatched into the top corner after his terrible effort uh, in his previous attempt from 12 yards which just dribbled so awfully wide <laughs> yeah is that that's one did he slip he, he sort of foot went as he as he kicked it didn't it um I'm not sure even a slip could excuse how bad a miss that was though to be fair <laughs> it was a shocker I think I think that's probably the reason why he went the other way uh, with his penalty so he, that didn't happen again but um yeah he's you know he's he, it, the way he won the penalty as well was brilliant. Like it was Palace sort of soaking up pressure, and then he got it, and it was like Zaha versus I think it was Gabriel Land and Ben White, and he went past Gabriel like he wasn't there, and then sort of held up um, White for long enough for for a midfielder to come back and try and stick a tackle in, and and the, you know Odegaard just looked like a looked like an attacking midfielder making a um, making a tackle when he he sort of clumsily clipped his ankle, but. That's Sahara all over. You can't really leave a foot in because he will. Not that he looks for it, but he knows it's there, and you know he's he's obviously gonna um, take what he gets and and go over the the challenge, and and it's a clear foul and clear foul, and he, he sticks a penalty away, um, and it was a cherry on the cake. Really, they probably didn't even need that goal, but it might have. Uh, after what happened last time, you know, if Arsenal had got one back, they might have been thinking, oh god, you know, it's two one with ten minutes to go, and we lost last time. We lost the uh, the points last time. Um so it was important for that not to happen and I think it's big for Crystal Palace as a in terms of mentality to uh to get a result, you know, three 0 over Arsenal on 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 the run they're on. Um and to turn them over at home. That'll, that'll give them huge confidence for the, not just the rest of this season, but probably, you know, heading into next season as well. Massive credit to Crystal Palace. 3-0 winners over Arsenal. That moves them up to ninth in the Premier League table on thirty seven points level with Leicester in 10th. But we've praised Palace. We now need to look at the top four picture because that's what a lot of people are talking about. As good as Crystal Palace did play in beating Arsenal, everyone's eyes are going to be on that Champions League race now. Joel, we said on yesterday's podcast coming into this game that Arsenal had two games in hand over Tottenham who had just handsomely beaten Newcastle at the weekend and that pole position was still Arsenal's to throw away. That game in hand is now just one and they're level on points with Spurs. They're back in fifth. Tottenham are fourth at the moment. West Ham sixth and United seventh. West Ham and United both on 51 points. So there's a three-point gap to Arsenal and Spurs above them. How does the top four picture look now? As 
I say, Tottenham are currently fourth, but Arsenal have a game in hand. Can you see the Gunners throwing it away? Are they going to bottle it, do you think? Well, that game in hand is against Chelsea, isn't it? So, I mean, they've basically thrown away those two game advantage that they had. They could have gone to 60 points above Chelsea, but like we've said, every time you try and count up the points when a team has a game in hand, it just never, ever goes that way and they always end up bottling either both games or one of them at least. Um, I wouldn't even rule out West Ham and Wolves at this point just because the inconsistency is ridiculous between those six teams that are all trying to get into that top four. I mean, when you look at Tottenham are probably the only ones right now who I would say look, look like they're in the pole position to actually get it because West Ham, I mean, they're very much outside. As Manchester United, you just don't know what you're going to get every single game. And then Wolves, again, another outsider. So, and Arsenal's running uh, from now until the end of the season is a really tough one. So it's really hard to call, to be honest. But if Arsenal do end up not getting into the top four, I think that's a massive uh, error on their side because they had they had it, they have it still pretty much in their hands. Um, I know a victory away to Chelsea is probably not the easiest, although if you're Brentford, they'd say different, but um, they they were in pole position. They could have gone, they could have been looking up towards third rather than having to languish around that fourth, fifth area. It's almost like all of the clubs don't want to commit too much in case they end up in that conference league spot, so they're trying to <laughs> just kind of languish behind a little bit. It's been like yeah. that all season, though, Joel. It feels like nobody wants this fourth place. Manchester United were fourth, then they threw it away. West Ham were in fourth for ages, they threw it away. Arsenal looked certain to be fourth place, and now it looks like they could have a difficulty in reaching the top four. Currently, Tottenham occupy that spot. And you mentioned that it's kind of flip-flopped, but it feels to me like it's been like that since about September. Yeah, and I think that just shows how much of a golfing class difference there is between the top three and then the rest of the Premier League. Obviously, Chelsea are not as good as Liverpool and Manchester City. Them two are just complete out of the way. But the drop-down is quite ridiculous. Um, all the teams have had the difficulties in the league this season. I mean, Arsenal's January was absolutely awful. They started off the season awfully. Then Tottenham have changed managers halfway through the season. Manchester United changed managers halfway through the season. So all these teams have had their errors all the way through the season. And the only teams that haven't, basically, well, Liverpool and Manchester City, because obviously right now Chelsea have got a lot of off-field stuff going on. So... All the teams are just not settled at the at the moment trying to get into that top four and that's probably the reason why. They're not as good as the top three right now and that's just facts. Um, but, I mean, the run-ins, they've all got to pretty much play each other towards the end. Arsenal have got to play Tottenham soon. Um, United have got to go away to Arsenal. Um, there's just a, there's going to be so many twists and turns, but you just really can't predict it just because of how inconsistent every single team is that are trying to get into it. Which is why I say I just wouldn't rule out West Ham and Wolves sneaking it if they can put together some some kind of consistent form. But we've seen with Leicester in the last couple of years as well. It's not easy when you go into those last eight games and you don't have the experience of managing each of those games and not letting it get too much of a pressured situation it's not easy to just you know you say you have eight games they're all straightforward go and win them because it's never the case um so honestly i really couldn't call it but right now i would just say that tottenham have, i think are in the best position would you agree marley how will tottenham be feeling because 
Yesterday, we spoke to Owen, who works with us at Sports Social. He's a big Spurs fan, and he said, oh, I can't wait for Crystal Palace to batter Arsenal tonight. And that was kind of just a tongue-in-cheek <laughs> comment, but it actually turned out that way. And a massive favour done for Spurs. How will they be feeling? And conversely, how will their North London rivals Arsenal be feeling? Who's on the front foot? Who's on the back foot? Because in terms of league position, it's Tottenham. But in terms of that game in hand, and although Joel's right, it is against Chelsea, Arsenal still have an advantage there. So how do you see things? Uh, I see. I think with this com- this whole conversation about who's finishing fourth, I think this happens every year. Nobody like you remember <laughs> last last year. Leicester had it for you know ninety nine percent of the season, and then fumbled it on the last day and ended up fifth. And it, you know this is going to go down to the last day. You know anyway, so it doesn't matter what happens in these games in hand. It's still going to go down to the last day because you know Arsenal might beat Chelsea and go three points ahead of, of Spurs. Uh, and then lose to Man United, for example, and then that puts them all on equal points. Um, so, I think there's there's two games left in the season that are that are like huge standout games in terms of everyone, and that's Liverpool against Man City next season for the title, uh, next week for the title, um, and Arsenal Tottenham in a few weeks' time for for that battle for uh, for fourth or fifth. Um, and they're the, you know, the two, you know, as as the season sort of peters out a little bit, and you know, a lot of teams have nothing to play for. Um, they're the two games that will decide where all the marbles go, sort of thing. And that is, that's what I'm looking forward to now because I, I can't predict. I don't know when Arsenal are going to slip up points. I'm sure they probably will slip up again because they're Arsenal. They've got Newcastle on the 16th of May. <laughs> well, they'll probably batter us the way we defended against Spurs. Christ. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's you know Arsenal are going to drop points because they're Arsenal, and Spurs are going to drop points because they're Spurs. It's it's just that's just how it goes. Um, Spurs are flying at the minute. To be fair, they seem to have got a uh, a good balance to to the team and and sort of re-energized under Conte, which is great for them. Um, but they need to do what they haven't done all season and, and show some consistency over the last you know eight games or whatever it is. So. Yeah, I think just about it's with Spurs now, purely because of the, the form of Harry Kane um, and the fact that Arsenal don't have anyone with that similar type of impact. Um, but, yeah, it, I mean, there's not much between them. Spurs have got some really big games coming up. Obviously, you pinpointed that rescheduled North London derby, which won't be played until Thursday the 12th of May. But Tottenham have still got some some tough teams to come up against. I think they've still got... Uh, to play Liverpool before the end of the season. I think that they've also got to play, um, that's at Anfield as well. I think they've also got to play Leicester at home, which isn't an easy game as much as it seems. So Brentford away, we know that's not always an easy task as well. So there are some tough games coming up, but that final day of the season, this is how things look at the moment. It's Sunday, 22nd of May. All games kick off at 4pm in the interests of sporting integrity, of course. Arsenal are at home to Everton on that final day of the season. Uh, Manchester United are away at Crystal Palace. Spurs are away at Carrow Road to take on Norwich. So that could be really interesting if we get to that point on the final day of the season. We are going to talk about Manchester United very shortly because Wayne Rooney was on the TV last night talking about who he thinks should be the next manager at Old Trafford. But before we do, Joel, I wanted to ask you, does this give you any more confidence as a Manchester United fan in the top four race, this result last night? Or are you still pretty downbeat about United's chances of Champions League? (laughs) No, absolutely not. Um, I think I've said in every single podcast whenever they say, oh, what's your prediction? I just do not know what's going to turn up at Old Trafford. I might even get a new manager turning up at one point. You just don't know what's going to go on at that club at the moment. So, 
Yeah, I mean, even though we still get, we still keep getting pulled back into it, even though we're not in the greatest of forms, I just don't believe, like, it's easy to see Arsenal drop points, it's easy to see Tottenham drop points, but at the end of the day, United still have to win their games, and right now, it just seems like the most impossible task, so I just, I, I feel like they've downed the tools now, they're kind of ready to quit the season and just get on with the summer madness which is about to happen at that club I I watched the game on on Saturday and honest to god it was one of the worst games of football I've ever seen between two such good teams Man United and Leicester it was awful like I was watching it with a couple of Man United fans and we we were like should we turn this off like this is awful like after the first half was just made you not want to watch a football game again and then second half it was because I think it was because they were so bad that each other were so bad that they scored two goals. And, ah, man, it was crazy how Man United is seventh in the league and, like, still not that far off. You know, they could still conceivably finish in the top four, but having played that bad, like, I don't know what it says about the league, to be honest. Yeah, I was there at Old Trafford and it did leave a, a little bit to be desired in the first half. It was better second half. There were some good moments, some reasonable individual performances. But yeah, disappointing, I think, overall in terms of the result. 1-1 one, one was, was fair, in my opinion. I think that was a fair result. Maybe Leicester could even have nicked it at the end. But we'll talk about Manchester United in a little bit more detail next because their legendary top all-time goalscorer, Wayne Rooney, and current Derby manager, of course, was on the TV last night. He's been talking about what potentially lies in store at Old Trafford. We'll talk about it after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary VTW, void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily, your seven-day-a-week Premier League news podcast. We are award winners as well. We picked up a 2021 Sports Podcast Award. Thanks to everyone who voted. We really appreciate all of your support. We're going to milk it, basically, between now and the end of the season. Who can blame us? We're pretty proud of it. But thank you again for everyone who's subscribed. And if you don't want to miss an episode of the podcast again, and you want to stay right in the loop with all of the action going on in the English Premier League, then why not hit subscribe if you haven't already? Now we're going to talk about Manchester United. They are always in the news agenda because they are such a behemoth of a club. But last night was interesting because in the TV coverage of Crystal Palace against Arsenal, Wayne Rooney was a studio pundit joining former Liverpool man and fellow scouser Jamie Carragher. And 
Rooney was asked about his thoughts on who he thinks will be the future manager at Manchester United. Of course, Eric Ten Hag is a name we've discussed. Maurizio Pochettino is a name that's been brought up on this podcast before. And it was the former Spurs man Pochettino, Marley, who Rooney said would be a better fit for the club in the summer. Is that a view that you can understand why he said that? The reasons he gave were simply that Pochettino has the experience of managing in the Premier League and might be given a bit more time, whereas Ten Hag possibly won't be. Do you share those opinions? Um, probably. I think that the logic that argument has stands up. Um, I think with, I always think with, with anyone coming from Ajax, with, with any uh, player, uh, official sort of boardroom member guy whoever whatever level of the football club it is there is no other european team like ajax they are so unique in the in their system and the way they work that sometimes they get shocked with um with with how other teams are run cuz ten hag will come into man united and go right who's 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 in charge of sort of player um targeting in the in the transfer market and everyone will just look at each other and go uh, you, you, uh, don't know. Just who do you want? And it'll be like it won't be used to the same um, setup, and that might work. He might, he might thrive under it. But also, it'll be so different to what he, what he's used to that I feel like it'd be more of a, a hindrance than anything else. Uh, whereas Pochettino can, you know, at least he knows what Man United are like from the outside, what they like to play against, what they might need. Um, and I think maybe he's he's got the slight edge in in um, well nothing can be certain I suppose in in football but if you want that sort of certainty then I feel like he might just just have it but obviously he's got them them issues you know he's never never won anything and you know as he he's not really enhanced his reputation by going to PSG um, yeah. It's, <laughs> It's not it's not a straightforward decision, to be honest. What about you, Joel? I know you've publicly on this podcast kind of backed Pochettino in the past, but also you've said you'd be happy with Ten Hag as well. With Rooney coming out and making a claim for Pochettino, do you think that might change any supporters' minds? Because at the moment it feels like Ten Hag is the populist choice, but maybe not the best choice. That's just my personal take. How do you see it? Yeah, for the record, I do think that Pochettino is just probably the risk less riskier choice but Rooney's reason for choosing Poch was basically that he has Premier League experience and for me I think that's just a bit of a lazy opinion um, because it's not like Ten Hag's not been very successful at Ajax in terms of what he's achieved there the two teams he's rebuilt after uh, that semi-final team in 2019 got completely dismantled and he's rebuilt it again and now he's going to get dismantled again because of how well they've uh, done it at in the in the Dutch league. So for me, it's just a case of, you know, everyone keeps bringing up the fact that Pochettino hasn't won anything. Um, he hasn't won anything in England. It's, I th- to me, it's a lazy opinion because if Pochettino was in Ajax, do you not think that he would have probably absolutely cleaned up that league every single season? And that's not to take any anything away from Ten Hag's achievements because, you know, Ajax didn't win the league for a good two, three years before he came in. But aren't, aren't but PSG then, the French Ajax? Should they not clean up that league every year? Yeah, but did they not absolutely the it last year? Yeah, but he's about to win the league and he joined halfway through the season. He had to go and, say, he had to go and sign Messi. Yeah, but he joined halfway through the season, though. He still had to do... <laughs> yeah, he, I just yeah think... but even still, he's going to win it. He's going to win it this season anyway. 
so then where, what argument is next? It's interesting as a dynamic with Pochettino for me because PSG are a, a considered a mega club, a super club with huge personalities and Manchester United aren't far behind that in terms of having massive characters in their dressing room. If Pochettino comes in, the likelihood is he'll have to manage Ronaldo. We don't know if Pogba's going to stay and if he does stay, then you know he'll have to manage him. You know There are massive characters in that Manchester United dressing room and sort of public figures and we don't know who they might sign. And I think with Pochettino being labelled as someone who doesn't win anything. I think that's fair because it's practically true. But also that Tottenham team, he did well with the tools he had. He wasn't exactly backed by the board at Tottenham at the time. He had good players. He had Kane. He had other uh, exceptional players at Tottenham who were performing at the top of their game at the time. Players like Ericsson and they had two really good centre-halves, didn't they? And Alderweireld and Vertonghen. But he wasn't backed by the board. And I don't think that that will be the case at Manchester United. I think that if they sort their recruitment out at United and they back Pochettino and Pochettino is allowed to sign the players that he wanted to sign when he was at Tottenham, but wasn't given the opportunity to do so. Let's not forget, they got to the Champions League final and made no changes to their squad the following transfer window. Maybe that just changes things slightly in terms of the opinion that people have of Pochettino and that's just my take I don't know what you boys think about that but do you think that if he did go to Manchester United then there's an opportunity for him to to actually showcase what he truly can do with a good squad of players who are underperforming and possibly a bit more of a war chest to to attack the transfer market with that he wasn't given at Tottenham yeah I mean for, for Tottenham for him to get Tottenham Hotspur to a Champions League final I think is a miracle in itself considering the fact that he didn't even spend a penny that summer before it um, so for, for him to actually get Tottenham in that talking point in that whole equation of the biggest teams in Europe that season for me that's like it's a ridiculous achievement I don't think anyone will be able to do that again with a, t- a side like that um, but it's just I don't think you can fairly judge a coach's qualities and how good he is as a coach at PSG because we've seen it so many times where like Unai Emery got sacked there and now he's doing an amazing job in Spain and then you had Thomas Tuchel who got sacked halfway through the season and obviously ended up winning the Champions League six week, uh, six months later um, I, I when he first went Pochettino I didn't think it was the right choice for him because it's basically the coach is just the puppet and then uh, Al Kaifa and Leonardo are basically the puppeteers who are just running everything. They have an involvement in absolutely everything. And I just don't understand how he could have a hands-on approach. Is that not the same as what it was at Tottenham, though? Is that not exactly how it was at Spurs, where you know he was just the coach of the team and the transfers he wasn't given? He wasn't given any money to spend. And I, know, I, I, just, I just feel like if he was at Manchester United, Joel, do you not think that he would be given a, a chance to buy players and then he can be properly judged? On because you know Marley said that he had to sign Messi. I mean, no one's going to turn down Messi, no matter what manager you are. But was it was it P- was it PSG's choice to sign Messi, or was it Pochettino's choice? Would you know you don't say no to Messi, but it's, it's just I, I just think it's interesting. Much it wasn't like just Ronaldo. him, though, was it? It was Messi, it was Don Romer, it was Ramos. Yeah, true. There was you know <laughs> massive. Players, it's like yeah. I mean, I know they're all statement signings, but you know you you wouldn't sign them had you not already won the Champions League. I think the I think the argument is there for. for for all to see to be laid out on the table. Ten Hag or Pochettino, they're the two main names at the moment. Just finally, before we move on to the Champions League with Liverpool and Manchester City in action tonight, Wayne Rooney, um, what do you make of him uh, as a managerial candidate for big Premier League jobs in the future? He's been lined up with the Everton job 
uh, in recent weeks after Frank Lampard took the job. It was kind of Wayne Rooney was in the running for that job when Lampard took over at Goodison Park. And he said, no, I'm sticking with Derby. I've got to see this project through to the end. And although it looks like they might, they might struggle to stay up in the championship this season, he's won over a lot of plaudits for the way he's he's managed Derby County this season, Marley. And the way he spoke as well, he's often sort of lambasted in the press, Wayne Rooney, for the character he is and kind of the way he is socially away from the game. But there's no doubt in his quality on the pitch as a player. And as a manager, um, we're starting to see maybe a little bit of that shine through. He won a lot of fans last night for the way he spoke on the TV. What do you see his future in the game as, as a possible managerial contender in terms of Premier League jobs? Uh, I think he's... Um... I think he knows the score, and I think everyone knows the score, really. I think he will—he doesn't have to do that much to become a Premier League manager one day, and I think he knew that while, um, and it was sort of reflected in the fact that he didn't swap uh, Derby for, for Everton. Um, he knew that the opportunity would come. I think he even said it when he was interviewed about it, and he said, yeah, uh, you know, Everton wanted to talk to me, but I didn't want to leave. Um, I didn't want to leave Derby because I know that that job will come one day if if it's if uh, our paths cross in the future um, and you know Everton looking for a manager he will be in the running for it so there's no need to rush anything right now um, and to be fair he didn't want to swap one bin fire at, at Derby for another steaming bin fire at, uh, at, at Everton and he's probably done well to avoid the. Uh, Avoid that um, that situation because Lampard's gone in and he's he's struggling um, big time. And you know Everton look as bad as they've ever been in in the, the God knows how long as long as I can remember. So I think with Rooney, he's you know he's done a good job at Derby. Even if they, even if they go down, you know what was the points thing? Was it minus was it minus nine or minus fourteen or something? Minus twenty one. Was it? Jesus Christ! See, that's what I, I, people forget about that. And like, without that, they'd be like fourteenth in the championship or something. And he's had he? players sold without his knowledge. He's had yeah for, players... for pennies. I remember this. Didn't yeah. he sell? Was it Shinny Graham Shinny to to an um to a Scottish Wigan team for thirty grand? Was it Wigan? Yeah. So and he said like I would have paid that to keep him out my own pocket. And so everything's getting done behind his back. Um, and his hands are completely tied. It's like. It's it's almost similar to how Lampard was at Chelsea, except um, there was there was at least some solidity in the Lampard thing that that they couldn't sell anyone and couldn't buy anyone as well. But you know, when you're in administration like Derby, you, you can only you can, I mean you can only sell players, and you're not the ones who decide to sell them. It's the administrators trying to raise money and keep the club afloat. So it's um, he's he's done well. He's he's done a good job. He's getting the. Also, he's one of the best, the only managers that's ever got anything out of Ravel Morrison at any at any opportunity, <laughs> which is which is incredible. He seems to score loads of goals for for Derby. To be and fair, it, didn't Big Sam get a bit out of him at West Ham? Yeah, yeah, for like for like six months, yeah, and then and then it all, I don't know, I don't know what happened, but they ended up having a fight and he, he off he went. So yeah, it's um, he's in, he's enhanced his reputation and he knows that. Um, and I think he's going to cherry pick where what what he does next and when he does it because uh, he, he know, you know the Rooney name is always going to get your jobs and whether you agree with that or not that is the way it is. Um, so you you look at that and think you know if if the money that comes along job comes along in in two three years time he'll probably step straight into it. Whether he'll do well or not we never we won't know until until that day comes. But that day will probably come. 
Well, that's Marley's assessment of Wayne Rooney, who was speaking on the TV last night. The Manchester United all-time record goalscorer and England all-time record goalscorer too was uh, suggesting what he thinks might happen in the future at Old Trafford. There will definitely be no Champions League football this week at Old Trafford, though. They were knocked out in the last 16, Manchester United, by Atletico Madrid, who incidentally play United's cross-city rivals, Manchester City, in Europe's elite club competition tonight. As for Liverpool, they take on Benfica. We'll talk about those two quarter-final ties next after this on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome back. My name's Niall. I've got Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor with me. And it is the Champions League quarterfinals this week. Chelsea are in action against Real Madrid tomorrow. But tonight, Benfica hosts Liverpool and Manchester City. Welcome Atletico Madrid to the Etihad Stadium. We'll talk about City versus Atletico shortly. But first, let's focus on Benfica against Liverpool in the Estadio de Luz in Lisbon. Liverpool are favourites for a lot of people to win the Champions League this season, Joel. And Jurgen Klopp joked that uh, Luis Diaz has been running the rule over Benfica, having him having uh, previously played in the Portuguese league for Porto up until January. And he said that he said a, a 15-minute speech, a chat with Jurgen Klopp, and Jurgen Klopp didn't understand anything that he was saying <laughs> about Benfica. Um, but all jokes aside, Liverpool have a very good chance of winning this quarterfinal, don't they? Yeah, you think so. I mean when they play Porto every single time they used to absolutely demolish them away from home and that stadium the is it the Draga stadium in Porto that used to be such a difficult stadium to go to um but yeah in this situation it's like well Benfica are not the top team in Portugal this season i think they're a good 15 points from the top, from the top where which Porto currently sit uh the only danger you would suspect is Darwin Nunes who's the young striker who's got 21 goals this season in just 23 games and obviously he had a I think a 55 million euro bid from West Ham in the summer which they're never going to see again because every single top club are going to be in for him in the summer Uh, but I think he's the only posing danger to Liverpool but other than that I just see it as a very straightforward victory for them obviously Benfica beat Ajax in the previous round which is you know it's a pretty decent feat, but this is just a different level from Ajax to Liverpool, um, and I just see it as a pretty straightforward away victory considering the form that Liverpool are in. Um, they'll have Salah and Mane fully fit back after the World Cup qualifying games. So yeah, Benfica just I would say Benfica would have been in a better position had they still been in the title race in Portugal, but they're just so far off, and they still need another rebuild again to start competing in their league. So. Yeah, for me, Liverpool have just got too much firepower, too much form on the hands. Uh, and obviously, like you say, Luis Diaz used to run rings around them back in Portugal. So I'm sure he'll be 
one of the first names on the team sheet. Well, Manchester City destroyed a Portuguese team earlier on in the Champions League this season, Marley. That was emphatic. Liverpool certainly have the potential and capability to do that. Lots of people are talking them up as possible Champions League winners. They've already won the Carabao Cup. They could win the FA Cup. They're still in the Premier League title race. The Champions League, though, seems to hold a special place in the hearts of Liverpool fans and in the history of Liverpool Football Club. They surely must be looking at this game, fancying it. Joel said that Liverpool should end up winning this tie over two legs. I agree. But if they could choose whether to win one or the other, do you think that they'd go for the Premier League? Because I know it's tough to win all four, but you know they, they've got a favourable draw, haven't they? they? They could easily be in the semi-finals. Yeah, I think, to be fair, it'd be one of the biggest... Um, upsets in Champions League history if if Liverpool don't beat um, Porto you know they're not uh, Porto Benfica sorry I was thinking of Diaz in uh, what Porto, mm. what uh, what Joel was saying before <laughs> yeah. about running rings around him but yeah he's um, they've not got I don't think they've got anywhere near enough um, I think they were very lucky to beat um, to beat Ajax in the last round but you know they, they they hung in there and dug in and and took their chance when it came and you know Darwin Nunes can score goals against against anyone he's he's such a you know he's one of these freak new strikers who's got everything like as in he's six foot three and can sprint like a bloody gazelle like similar to Erling Haaland but just not in as as competitive a league I suppose and not quite as scary numbers but you know he's um he's got talent there's there's Talented players all over the pitch. I think Grimaldo at left back's fantastic. They've got experienced centre backs um, in Vertonghen um, and Otamendi, who's got, but I mean, from Premier League days, Otamendi's got an absolute calamity in him uh, at any point, really. So um, I think with with the way the two teams are, you know, they're they're going to be flying Liverpool um, straight into this game. They'll be they'll be they know what's on the line as well. You know, they know that they can win this tournament and they know that it's a, a potential final against Manchester City which is you know the the game the, well the the game I've I've, no, I've I would never have looked forward to a game watching a game that doesn't involve my team more than um than Liverpool versus Man City in the Champions League final I think the the form of the last two teams over the last 3 or 4 years has manifested itself to a point where we've got to see them play for the the biggest trophy in world football um, and I would I would love that to happen, but obviously you've got to get get the uh, the business done in the meantime. And I, I I think Liverpool are that relentless, especially in the Champions League, that they'll uh, they'll have it pretty comfortable against uh, against Benfica tonight. By the way, that Premier League game between Manchester City and Liverpool Sunday, tenth of April, sixteen <laughs> thirty, BST. Wow. I mean, that's looking really tasty already, isn't it? The top end of the Premier League table. City versus Liverpool at the Etihad. Half four kickoff on Sunday. We'll preview that game on the dugout with our roster of former Premier League professional players. Make sure you hit subscribe and you can join us for that. But let's talk about City now as Liverpool are on the road in Portugal. Manchester City, they host Atletico Madrid, who have been in Manchester very recently, only a few weeks ago, of course, before the international break. They knocked out Manchester United, putting an end to their Champions League run at the last 16 stage. They don't quite seem like the same Atletico that we remember fondly from previous seasons, Joel, but 
under Simeone, they just know how to grind out results to dig in and get the job done. In terms of the draw that Manchester City could potentially have had, I think that they know that they're a match and more than capable of beating any team, no matter who they come up against. But you look at Atletico and you think, oh, that's just going to be a graft. It's going to be a grind. It won't be easy. And I think Pep Guardiola knows that as well. Yeah, it's like heaven versus hell kind of matchup, isn't it? Where they're just totally <laughs> two different teams, two different styles, two different identities. The quality of players and the style of them are just opposite, polar opposites. Um, but like you say, Niall, I think it's the fact that, again, with Liverpool, Benfica, Manchester City, Atletico, it's the fact that they're both facing teams who are completely off it in their leagues. Atletico are a good 12 points off Real Madrid in uh, the La Liga. Even though they're in really good form at the moment, they've conceded the most goals under Simeone since he's been there in a, in a league season. So obviously it's the it's the best time to face one of his sides, but it's never a nice time to face one of his sides because, I mean, just looking at the game at Old Trafford a couple of weeks ago, it was just when they get their goal and it's the second leg, for example, they know every trick in the book to get them over the line. I think they are the worst side you can face if you are a team chasing a goal because they know how to grind the clock down. They know how to really frustrate opponents, especially Guardiola, Guardiola side as well because um, they'll be probably pinning Atletico back for a good portion of the game. Uh, the only difference now is that Atletico have got a very quick counter-attacking uh, approach, whereas in the past it wasn't usually like that. Now they've got, you know, Jao Felix, they've got Griezmann. Um, it's a little bit of a different proposition, whereas, you know, when you compared it to his Champions League side, it was a little bit different of a strategy to get the goals, where obviously you had Griezmann, sometimes Diego Costa, uh, Suarez, of course. But yeah, I think it's it'll be very interesting. We can already visualise exactly the way both teams are going to approach it. I mean, City are going to pin them back for half the game, of course. Uh, but again, it's a case of breaking them down. At Old Trafford, I wasn't massively impressed with them. Um, like I said, it's the best time I think that you can play them. They've not got as quality as they did, you know, when they had that Diego Godin and Jimenez uh, back line. That was just ridiculous. Now I think they can be they can be got at, but I still see a City win. But it's going to be a, I don't think it'll be a very high score line. Um, but again, with a Simeone side, I mean. When, when you're at that stage of the competition, the quarterfinals, and it's basically the only thing they can play for now, I, I, I would not back against them, put it that way, because they just, they have the spirit in them. Simeone sides, like the, I think he recently just signed a seven-year contract with Atletico. Uh, they believe in everything he's about. He is like the godfather of their club. So it'll be a great game. Um, we know how the approach will be, but it's just very, very opposite styles, very opposite styles. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, Diego Simeone I think I'd love to see him in the Premier League one day I'm really interested to see what sort of a, a a team he would bring to the top flight and I just wonder if you know Manchester United are looking for a manager with an edge could they go in and poach Simeone from Atletico I know he signed a huge new contract as you say and it's going to be hard mm. and why would he swap Atletico <laughs> for Manchester United I'm sure so many people are screaming when listening to the podcast, but I just couldn't imagine the pure level of shithousery, Marley, if Diego Simeone <laughs> was a Premier League manager. Can you imagine, like, you know, like, Man City are all swashbuckling and high-pressing and stuff like that, and so are Liverpool, and Chelsea have it to an extent as well with their slightly different formation. You know, the role of pantomime villain is there to be played. <laughs> you know, 
can imagine if Man United just went right. Yeah, yeah, go on. We'll be the uh, we'll be the antichrist here. We'll be the the ones who who don't want to play football, and we'll just you know revel in that sort of um, <laughs> that role of pantomime villain type of thing, and just turn up with Simeone, stink the place out for eight nine minutes, and win one nil on the counter attack. So it could be uh, it could be a route. Well, it is a route if uh, to to the sort of future um, with Man United. He's probably a bigger name than the other two that have been linked with the job, but obviously there's a lot of uh, a lot of hurdles in there and it's not really on the cards at the minute. But if anything ever did go wrong at Atletico and Simeone, you know, tore up the boardroom and fancied something new, then, you know, could Man United be there? It'd be certainly be interesting. Yeah, it certainly would. Well, Manchester City have the task of... Seeing off Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid tonight, I personally think they will do. Let's go for a, a little quick run through of not score prediction, but do you fancy a City win tonight, Joel, just quickly? Yeah, but I think it'll just be like a one nil. I don't think there'll be a 5 4 nil complete whitewash. But then when they go to Madrid, uh, it will be a difficult task. But I think it's going to be a, a win tonight for City. Yeah, I think... Um... I think it'll be City flexing the muscles, and you know we know that we know the difference between City and Man United when they play, but I think um, the difference will be evident again when you see City just scythe through Atletico when Man United struggled for 180 minutes and got outplayed and frustrated. I think, you know, I think especially an early goal and City will just run away with it and they'll have it pretty comfortable. So I'm uh, I'm going for a comfortable City win. I think. Okay, well, we'll run the rule on those games in terms of results on tomorrow's episode of Football Social Daily. We'll also look at Chelsea's quarterfinal of the Champions League against Real Madrid. That looks like a tasty game as well. But that's it for today's episode. Thank you very much, Joel. Thank you, Marley. That's it for today's episode. Hit subscribe and that way you won't miss tomorrow's. We'll see you there. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.